Welcome to a special edition of the Should Have Acted podcast. Looking back over the Adelaide Racing Carnival and with a sneaky eye on the spring. We've seen some fantastic racing over the past month with Russian Camelot taking out the South Australian Derby and Trekking delivering a big result for Godolphin in the Goodwood. We also saw our first entrant into the 2020 Melbourne Cup with Ocean X outstaying the highly fancied King of Lear grants in the Andrew Ramsden at Flemington. Joining me to talk through all the action over the past few weeks is racing expert Chris Finuccio. Now, Big V, you've called a special podcast emergency. You must be fired up. How have you been going? <laughs> oh, hello, Phil. It's uh, yeah, great to do a podcast. and yeah, It's been a couple of weeks, so I've missed doing it. And it was a very busy weekend on Saturday. I mean, there was only one Group 1 race, but there was so much happening around the country. I mean, there was good racing in Melbourne, Sydney... Brisbane, Adelaide, even a, a feature race in Perth, so a lot to talk about. I was excited after Saturday, and I thought, yeah, let's let's do a podcast. No, mate, I'm, I'm very happy to be involved. I mean, I've been out playing golf today, so you'd be happy about that. Your mate Sam Newman will be happy too. We can do a little bit more, but we're still cooped up, and it's great to see some high-quality racing still happening. Uh, well, I was the one carrying on about not being able to play golf, and you go out and <laughs> uh, it was a beautiful day in Melbourne too, so it was great to get out there and uh, have a hit after a few weeks uh, on the bench. But I guess uh, the main talking point, I suppose, over the, at least the last week was the uh, Goodwood yesterday, as I mentioned in the opening, and the trekking's big win and what, what it might mean for races like the Everest moving forward. It's going to have been a lot. We'll get to that shortly, but uh, well done for knocking me off in the Goodwood. You were, you were on trekking and... I was on Gitra and you know, I was only um, a stride in it. And Did you think there was um, much depth in that field? There's a bit of talk that it was a deep race, but I think when you put it down to it, it only had about four or five winning hopes and even had to have a question mark next to Santa and Elaine and Sunlight. So, yeah, I think the, the top two, well, the two best horses fought it out first and second and... That's how I saw it. Did you see it the same way? Yeah, look, I um, thanks for giving me the, the kudos around trekking, but I, I, my main bet actually was on Geetras, but I just happened to uh, have, a, have a little side one on, uh, on, the, uh, on trekking as well. And to be honest, when they were going down the straight, I was hoping Geetras w- would hold on. But to answer your question, uh, look, it had five Group 1 winners in it. I think for a Goodwood, I think it was one of the higher quality fields that we have had in the event. Um, there was a couple disappointing runs, once again, Sunlight and, and a couple others. And look, Santa Ana Lane, as we've discussed previously on the podcast, probably isn't quite at that form it was a, a season or two ago now and still performs at a higher level in those Group 1s but doesn't look like winning them um, like it did in the past. So, look, yeah, I do think it was a good field and I think any other, any other year... You would have got a big crowd out there at Morfordville and it would have been a, a really fantastic day. Um, I still think it was a good race. And to be honest, I think the whole carnival was quite high quality. When we saw the South Australian Derby last week with um, some really top quality horses, some of which will obviously uh, very uh, big in the market in terms of the Melbourne Cup as well, um, which we'll discuss a little bit later. So, yeah, look, I can see on why you might say it was a bit weaker, but um, I, was, I was pretty impressed overall. <laughs> With Gitra, 380, you could still get Saturday morning. I thought the only reason you could get that price must be for drawing Barrier 12 because I, I thought he might have been a bit shorter, but he was back late to $3, but only just got nutted in the end by trekking. And I was surprised to see that his SP was 
ten dollars. He was a, a real late drifter, and particularly from the barrier, he drew the the best out of the main chances. And I think it was a lot of he would have had to have a lot of faith to be on sunlight at nine dollars. And even Santa uh, paying eight dollars, Santa I think jumped out second favourite. And I think based on his last couple of runs, I I was prepared to to uh, jump off him. He's been one of uh, my favourites and certainly one of your favourites. But, yeah, I think retirement might come for both of them. Uh, oh, look, I think you'd push on with Santa and Elena. I'm not sure about Sunlight, what the plans are there. But, yeah, Guitras, back to your point about the barrier, I mean, I think the bit that cost at the race was coming in and ducking in in that last 200 metres and probably going into the slightly inferior ground on the inside there and just letting trekking come over the top sort of more centrally on the uh, on the course. So, look, that could have gone either way and really it was a last stride effort. So nothing, certainly taking nothing away from Guy Trass, who who also put in a, a good win earlier in this uh, Adelaide Carnival as well. So it's been a, it's been a big season for it and probably uh, very keen to have a bit of a break now, I would have thought. It's been up for a while and uh, get it back for the spring for some of the big races then. Yeah, possibly. And maybe um, looking at, uh, if you were to get a, ever a slot, we'll, we'll have a chat about that now. But I think for a slot holder, Santa Adelaide maybe might not have that appeal like he did in the last year or two. But if he wants to push on, maybe just have have a, a light campaign because he's going to be, I think, eight in the spring and he's still performing first up, second up. It's just been that third up run where he's just gone downhill. So it's going to be, uh, I think, tough for Santa. Maybe it's got to be a short prep. Yeah, and I, look, I saw just on the Everest, I saw that you put a field together or a bit of a prospective field for the Everest in one of your columns during the week with the Herald Sun. So I noticed you didn't have trekking in it. I'm, I'm guessing after Saturday you will uh, be amending your, your field now to include trekking and perhaps with a question mark around horses like Santa Ana Elena and Sunlight. Yeah, the, the possible field was done before the Goodwood, so I had Nat- Nature Ships obviously is the only horse with the slot. And then I had Geetra, Classic Legend, Surely we'll get a spot. The, his owner owns a slot, after all. Then you've got Alligator Blood, Tefani, who really emerged during the, the autumn. Loving Gabby, you know, four group one placings this prep. The TJ was her only fail, and that was on a heavy track. Then you've got the up-and-comer, Mask Crusader, Bivouac, Godolphin owns a slot. So James Cummings has said that's the their number one seed for it. Then you've got the two-year-old and Golden Slipper winner, Farnham. And then I had um, Pinna Turbo, which is a, an unbeaten European colt from Godolphin as well. You know, that might come over. And you've got Santa and Sunlight. And I think after Saturday, maybe Sunlight goes out and you put Trekking in instead. And said that leaves Santa and Elaine's with a couple of question marks and and what horses, you know, might replace him. And, yeah, there's, there's a lot of options, but there's not really a lot of standouts. I mean... Um, you know, Zutori, the inevitable, they disappointed in the Goodwood. You know, maybe it might be some of the one of those Queensland two year olds that are firing at the moment, Rothbard Isotope, Wisdom of Water. They could be um, you know, left field choices. I thought one choice.
choice out of the box was Fabergino, which mm. won well at Flemington a couple of months ago. You're, I think you were on him. And actually won well a couple of weeks ago over 1,100, you know, smashed Flirtini by three lengths. I thought if there was any chance of testing her out over 1,200, it would have been on Saturday in the Roma Cup in Nascot, but I was surprised she wasn't in the nominations. Yeah, I think... There's still a bit of uh, water to go under the bridge on on that final field, but I guess the core of what you've said there, I think, will be how it lines up. Um, you know, pending things going wrong, or or I guess any uh, interest internationally. I'm, in- I'm interested that you did include the European horse. It'll be, I guess, a question mark whether these horses can come over during the spring. Hopefully, they can because I do think they add quite a lot to the racing calendar. But uh, yeah, certainly um, an interesting conversation point at this stage, I guess. We're not going to know for a couple months now how that field can, is going to shape up, but yeah. very exciting yeah. and it's it's interesting. Um, Big V, the thing that struck me was that you know you're a, a Melbourne-based racing rider and that's the race that you chose to focus on in the spring. And I mean, it's just showing how big that race is getting, and yeah. not just in New South Wales but across the country. Well, it's interesting because already six horses that raced in the raced in the race last year have been retired so there's this big void that's got to be filled and there's going to be a lot of new blood but um usually usually this time of year i read that there's always been at least two horses picked for the everest there's only been the one but i think we're going to see a lot of slot holders really have to think long and hard about the horses they're going to pick because there's going to be a lot of fresh talent coming in and and a lot of unknowns and you know, there's a lot at stake with their $600,000 that they've put down. It's going to be some tough choices to be made. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll, we'll keep a watching brief on that one, mate, and um, maybe take a look at that in a, a couple months' time as well. But um, what we might do now is move straight into our Should Have Backed It for the weekend, mate. I know yours is at Rose Hill, and I'm surprised when I saw this one that you didn't weren't on it because you were on it in our quaddy at least a few weeks ago. But Rainy Air at Rose Hill, um, who won it about six dollars, and you know it's uh, put two on the trot, so that's not a bad effort. Yeah, so he's a horse that I rate uh, highly from his last campaign, and he's come back. He looks like he's a better horse, and he's won his first two starts. I suppose the reason why I was off him is he's never won before and never won below 1,400 metres, and here he is. He's dropped 14 to 1,300, but he was still too good. Paid a good price as well, $6. And, you know, he could be in career-best form, and there's still plenty of wins, I reckon. It just depends whether where he goes now. He might go to the Stradbroke, and, you know, that might be... You know, he might have to step up a level to win a Stradbroke, but who knows? But if, he, if there's another race there somewhere beforehand, I think this time I might not miss it. I might not miss out with him. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I don't. It wouldn't be too hard in yourself there, but uh, yeah, it's uh, just a, I was surprised that that was your your option given uh, your affinity with the horse. My should have backed it for the weekend was actually at Flemington in race four, and it was Sikorsky. I thought after Duke of Plumpton came out on the race morning, it looked a clear top pick and. I just didn't back it. I'm not sure why. I just didn't. I don't know if it was the price or, or just concerns around other horses in the field. But I did stay away from it and was pretty disappointed with myself. Uh, did win dominantly in the end, uh, really convincingly, and and probably not even with the with with you know hindsight, it was uh, definitely the horse to beat there. Yeah, there's a lot of support for the 
second horse, Orleans Rock, and I mean that just horse just always gets too far back. So yeah, that's um, I did have Sikorsky on top. I mean after the scratching, so yeah, it was well. a dominant win. It was, and one I'll be watching moving forward as well because I think it's had a pretty good prep this time around and, you know, obviously taking on everything that has been put in front of it. So Sikorsky there will be one I'll be keeping an eye on and hopefully, like you with Rainier, not one I'll be missing again in the future. Uh, as for should have sacked its mate, yeah, you, you were at Flemington for that way with uh, Broadway and Forth. What, what went wrong there, mate? I think similar to all these Rock in the, the race you were mentioning before, Broadway and Forth just gets too far back and Barrier 13, I should have seen that it's going to go back. It's not one of my horses that, um, that I've been following, but I just thought her last start in Adelaide, you know, only beaten you know, less than a length behind Keylong and Ghana, I thought, yeah, maybe now she's ready to, to run a big race, but you know, she never looked like winning. You know, I mean, she did run on and finish a nice sixth, you know, four lengths behind the winner, mind you. I don't know how this horse won at Mooney Valley during the Spring Carnival last year, but she's never looked likely this campaign. It just gets too far back, so I think um, I'm not going to get sucked in by her again. Yeah, it was well supported by a number of tipsters, actually, Broadway and Forth. I think probably ended up starting a little bit unders for what well, it had done. She, she was well back on the... She was well back Saturday morning, early afternoon, but she's really drifted late. Mm. 380 out to 550, so she did get the blows and maybe the big punters did see, you know, that that wide barrier and where she was going to be in the run. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, I certainly st- stayed away. My one was uh, actually my should have sacked it, that is, was in at Morfordville in race seven, Harbour Views. Uh, look, it did run nicely home in its previous start behind the Buffalo, but uh, I, I just thought looked a bit unders at $2.75, and I did take it and was kicking myself after the race. It, even if it had won, I don't think I would have been too excited with my, my gambling strategy there because it probably should have been more 4 or $5 in my opinion. And uh, ran pretty well, ran third again, but yeah, just kicking myself for getting a little bit too heavily involved in that one. I think there's a lot of hype on the horse. I, I know it's a, it's a talented horse, but I don't, it's, I don't think it's yet to prove himself at, at Metropolitan meetings. And he's always under the odds for mine. I think... Um, I think yeah. his hype is a uh, you know, a bit more than maybe what he's. Well, I shouldn't say what his talent is because I think he's a good galloper, but I think he's yet to prove himself in metropolitan class. Yeah, and that was the disappointing thing for me is that I like to sort of pride myself on finding value in the runners that I back and. Often, as you say, Harbour Views doesn't offer that. It's always unders. It's always over bet, always over tipped, I think, as well. And even when it do- does win, you-, you probably still haven't got the price you should have. So, yeah, look, uh, probably just staying away from that one while it's still a little bit overhyped, and we'll-, we'll see where it lands next. But, yeah, I just got sucked in a little bit, I think. And by race seven at Morfittville, I was looking for a winner. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think as, as a few of us might have been and, uh, yeah, got a bit sucked in by that one. Talking about uh, horses at value, I was surprised that your should have backed it wasn't super tightest because mm. I, was, I was nearly going to make it, I backed it, but I thought Arfield's uh, definitely got to have it as his. 
I was, mate, uh, only reason I uh, didn't include it as much should have backed it is because I was still dirty on it. Oh, so I, just to, to fill everyone in, I did back it last start where it ran home for a nice third or fourth, I can't remember, but in behind Rupture. And I just couldn't see it turning the tables on Rupture and didn't actually see that it had gotten out to $15. That might have changed my perspective, but I thought it might have been 7 or $8 and just thought Super uh, Rupture at, you know, 250 looked to be a little bit better place to win that race. But when it won the race and I saw $15, I almost fell off my chair, mate. That was uh, very disappointing to not be a part of that after being a fan of the horse in its previous starts. Yeah. But I thought, I mean, I'm with you. I thought it's third behind Rupture two starts back. After that run, I thought, oh, yeah, this horse is ready to win now. But then when I saw it's up against Rupture again, I thought, how's it going to turn the tables? And, you know, Rupture ends up running lame. So it's the opportunity for someone to come and to win instead and happen to be super tightest. And, you know, I think it's going to be the type of horse we're still going to get a good price next start if we think it's a good chance again. Yeah, I don't think it's the kind of horse that's going to put two or three on the trot, but it's certainly a, a, a good horse at that, at that level. And, um, yeah, we'll pick up races here and there at a good price. So you're getting $15. I guess you uh, compare that to my discussion around Harbour Views, which um, couldn't get the job done at two seventy five. It leaves a bit of a sour taste in your yeah. mouth when, when that happens. And just interestingly, though, Big V, you, uh, you mentioned horses that have followed, and um, I, I do need to remind you that on our last podcast, the uh, end of the second season there, I asked you who sh- who, which horses should we be following into Adelaide? And one of the horses you mentioned was Trekking, and it ends up winning a, a Goodwood at $10, and I find out later you're not on it, mate. You've, you jumped off your own horse. Well, you have horses to follow. You don't know what they're up against. And when you saw Guy Charles win you know, two starts back, I mean, that was a real big performance. And I just have to have Guy ahead of ahead of Trekking. You know, Trekking was heading in, a, in the right direction, but I just thought... I was looking at the form. I thought that Grey Worm, Kevin Tari form, I thought, oh, it's good, but maybe it's not as good as what Geetra has been producing. And and it's just one of those instances where you think there's another horse better and you go for that other horse. Yeah, that's fair enough. You've got to watch it race by race. And you were just giving us a uh, bit of a broad brush of who you thought might be worth following into the into the uh, carnival but I did follow you in on it mate you're one of the reasons that I was on it so uh, thanks for that and I'm disappointed that you couldn't get involved no uh, and, I, and I kind of and I thought that maybe a horse like and at the time I didn't know what Geecho was doing I thought Geecho was going to go for a spell uh, but then it's um, still in work and and, he, and his form was just getting better and better I mean that, that win in the group 2 race where he beat Sunlight convincingly uh, was was I think the, the performance of his career and I thought he would just he could kick on and, and get a group one and I just missed out by a nose <laughs> I've been the story of your punting woes the last couple of weeks hasn't it missing out by a nose a few seconds yeah it's been a few seconds there's actually um, uh, a mate that I I sent a few tips somewhere most weekends it's just been a, a bit sporadic I just have a, had a look over my last couple of texts that I've given him and my last four bets that I've tipped him have all been seconds so <laughs> it just just shows us that fine line between you know getting a an okay profit to a good profit so I reckon there's a big week in me coming up 
nearly it was nearly on Saturday, but I think there's one coming soon. Well, hopefully it's, uh, you don't have to wait till then. But the big race that occurred at Flemington on the weekend was the Andrew Ramsden, where we saw a really impressive win from Ocean X uh, over the highly fancied King of Leagrands. I think King of Leagrands ended up starting about a dollar eighty-five or something ridiculous like that. And to be honest, Australia was on it. Yeah, well, I was on it, and and I think from about the thousand to about the two hundred you would have been counting your money. It would have been a $1.01 in running. It was absolutely just cruising, and you thought it was going to win. But to Ocean X's credit, it's um, finished with a really nice little sprint and was able to sustain that and basically outstay King Aaliyah Grants in the end. So uh, it booked its place in the Melbourne Cup. I suspect you'll also find King Aaliyah Grants in the Melbourne Cup. And we just wanted to have a look forward because we've seen a number of horses that will uh, likely compete in the Melbourne Cup run over the last few weeks. Um, we obviously saw the return of Varro and Declare, the really impressive uh, performances in Sydney by Master of Wine, Russian, Russian Camelot uh, winning the South Australian Derby, So, and one of your old favourites, Colette, also in the market. So we're just going to have a bit of a quick look forward and, and for those futures bet punters um give them a bit of a sense where we think the melbourne cup's shaping up for this year so i might let you uh let us know who you sort of are focusing in on at this point yeah i'll have a look at that and just on king of leah grants you just couldn't have enough money on him when ollie started to blend into the race and yeah i just thought it was a case of how far but looking at the melbourne cup market and after russian camelot won the south australian derby the bookmakers have just really overreacted and installed at favourite. And I see that I reckon punters have been backing it. It's into $9 now on the TAB. So I don't know if the, the bookies have just wound it in or people are just putting a few dollars on, but I think Russian Camelot's a false favourite. That's outrageously short. If you wait until race morning or even five minutes before the race, even if it's favourite then, you're not going to get much worse than $9. So I'm not sure why anyone would be loading up on Russian Camelot at $9 this far out for a horse that's only had five or six starts. Admittedly, looks to be you know up in that quality, but I'd be waiting. If you were a Russian Camelot fan, I wouldn't be jumping on yet at $9. I must say, though, on the, uh, the corporate bookmaker site that I'm looking on, it's currently $13. So there's a little bit of uh, fluctuation there, I suppose, that, that is available. The horse that probably has impressed me the most and the one that I'll be keeping a really close eye on is Master of Wine. But, again, I think it's too early to probably uh, make too many... Um, uh, decisions around who who will be betting on at the time. But if I was going to have a future bet, that's where I'd be looking. Yeah, I agree. I think Master of Wine should be the favourite at this point in time. And I, I suppose the reason why there's this spruik on Russian Camelot is he is a three-year-old by Northern Hemisphere. Yep. So he's three months younger than our three-year-olds. And, and so there's that potential there to really elevate himself but I'm not saying he can't win a Melbourne Cup or it could be this year but he's got a lot of development to make between now and then to get to that level and if he can do that then you know we've got a, an outstanding horse here but for him to be the favourite it's it's really too soon but I want to see him in the spring and see how well he's going you look at Master of Wine and last start's finished five lengths behind the deep I mean, that was a big performance by Deeb, and that was weight for age. And so he's proven himself at weight for age against 
you know, more seasoned horses. And I even heard Tommy Berry say on, on the radio the other week that even Master of Wine is still not the finished product. He still does a lot wrong. So, mm. you know, what type of horse are we going to get as well in the spring from him? Yeah, and I think on your Russian Camelot point, uh, it, look, the profile's right, as you say. We've had our the last two winners plus... No, sorry, not the last two winners, but two winners plus a third last year coming out of that profile. So certainly... Um, Certainly understandable that people are getting excited, but I do think you're right that it's a, a false favourite at this, at this point. And, and I guarantee you, you're going to get a better price for Russian Camelot on Melbourne Cup Day. I mean, Surprise Baby was favourite for the Melbourne Cup at one stage, and and he's ended up paying $12 on the day. So, you know, the, the market's going to change dramatically on, on the day itself. And being that far out, I mean, when we think about it, Andrew Ramsden... Stakes Day last year when still Prince won. I mean, were we thinking about Bow and Declare back then? I mean, none of us had heard, well, most of us hadn't heard of Il Paradiso, and, and he was very unlucky not to win the Melbourne Cup, or Master of Reality as well. I mean, obviously this year we might not get the internationals, but there's just so many horses, and if the internationals do come, there's so many of them that we're not going to hear about until later on. This is going to be so many horses in that Melbourne Cup build that is just going to change the market radically. Well, and, and what I'd be doing if you you did want to have a bit of a spec moving forward is finding something at odds, finding something at 100 to 1. Because if you think it's going to improve and you're getting $20, $30 on the day, you, you're finding value in something at 100 to 1 or 50 to 1 rather than trying to get on something at $9, you know, several months out <laughs> when you're probably only going to get at best, worst case scenario, they're going to, it's going to come into $7 on the day. So um, having a look through that field, I thought Supergirl's run on the weekend was pretty good. You're getting $151 around it. You know, there's improvement in some of these horses. So um, I, I might be taking a, a good look at some of those uh, more unfancied runners at this stage um, looking forward from a futures perspective. Actually, if I was going to pick one as suspected odds this far out, even a horse like Hakey at $51. Mm. His win at Fleming's last month was uh, pretty impressive. And I think he ran in the... Uh, did he run in the Geelong Cup last year? But I think yep. he was an import. And now he's, you know, he's had a better campaign second time round. I think he can really emerge in the spring. So that's one horse I might have a look at. Now, mate, during spring carnival. taking a big sort of diversion here... Uh, you wanted to also talk about race five at Flemington and the, the sprint race there that Prezado won. Um, why, why have you put that on the agenda? I just wanted to bring it up. Is It's another example of weight being overrated. Mm. Um, and also with Prezado, risen up to three kilos and 59 kilos. I think it just puts off a lot of punters. And I was doing the form for this race and I was really having a tough time I looked at Prezado and I thought you know, one at the track and distance last start, firm track but it's going to carry 59 kilos but then I had so many doubts on other runners, like King of Hastings was the favourite and I thought 1,000 metres is better at over 1,200 then you had Milwaukee, Malibu Style they were, you know, two horses that's always thereabouts I mean, Malibu Style's you know, consistent performer but doesn't win and I was looking at Causeway Girl, maybe left field, Damien Oliver, but she's always a high SP 
but she's run a few close placings against some pretty good horses. But So I didn't know which horse to put on top. And in the end, I just thought, no, nah, bugger it. I'm not going to worry about the, the weight rise for Prezado. I'm just going to focus more on that this is the right track, right distance, right conditions, and put that above all else over her weight. And she's ended up winning, and she's paid $7. She beat King of Hastings, who was only a nose in it. But you got a good price for a horse that had the right conditions. All that was the question mark that was over him was his weight. And in the end, it's again, it showed that I think we put too much emphasis on weight when it comes to 550-kilogram horses. And you, you've got to be a bit careful at the moment too with the uh, the minimums being put up to kilograms about that weight. So you're seeing horses racing, you know, 62 and 63 kg, which in the past might have been a reason to jump off or, or wonder why an apprentice hasn't been put on. But all the weights during this COVID-19 period have been increased by two kilograms. So, look, 59 kilos, that's 57 in the old uh, on the old scale, and, and that's not a weight that would usually put you off betting on a horse. So I think that's a, it's a reasonable point you bring up there. And in particular, something I wanted to raise, and I noticed Prezado was uh, ridden by um, the Jamie South Carr, Australian yeah. jockey, Jamie Carr. So, look, I'm... Going back to our Melbourne Cup discussion, I'm hoping Jamie gets herself into the, the, the Cup this year because I do think she's one of the uh, the better riders going around at the moment and has a beautiful seat and gets the best out of horses, I reckon. And if you are a follower of her, you, you're always getting a decent price, even with Prasado yesterday. And she also was on de- uh, debt and deficit in the last, from memory. Yeah, she's underrated. And uh, maybe that could be another factor why... Uh, Prezado actually drifted from five fifty to seven dollars, and you look at a horse like Eduardo. Uh, it was eight fifty in the market, so only a little, you know, a touch better. But Eduardo's just out of form, and he's still tight in the market. I didn't even have him in my top four. Big V, if we're, Eduardo needs to go into your sacked file that you have, your into the bin one that you had one week on the podcast. It's just not. It's not never runs at value, and it's just sort of given up a little bit. I think I don't think it likes to race anymore. It doesn't put in. They've, I saw they went with the jockey change, and you know Harry, to his credit, was giving it a, a good scrub up. But it just it doesn't have that same turn of foot, or perhaps it's a, a mental thing with that horse because um, it doesn't look interested anymore. Yeah, Eduardo goes in the same bin that I had Sosi Bon in. <laughs> twice oh, so it'll win next start. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Actually, another horse you. Should go in the bin is Graff that ran poorly at Rose Hill on Saturday, so that's another one that can jump in the bin as well. One horse that won't go in the bin though is Dirty Work, which uh, won for you in the last at Rose Hill, and nice little pick up for you, but also for our punters club. Uh, it was a bit of a step up from benchmark grade into the listed company, and um, you, you mentioned to me uh, previously that the tipsters seemed to ignore it, but certainly wasn't missed by the big punters coming starting at about $3.50, I think. Yeah, dirty work, and uh, I was actually dirty with myself that I didn't put it in our tweet in the morning as one of my best bets because if, if everything was going to plan for me, this was the one I wanted to get on as well. Just add a bit of icing on the top to the day, but I've still managed to get on. And it was actually quite interesting because 90 seconds before the jump, he was 320, and then all of a sudden, his his SP is 360. So the the punters were on him. And then they sort of, uh, I think they jumped on other horses late. I think Noble Boy might have been the one they got on. So I was surprised that 
you know, the, it just eased a little bit with 90 seconds to go. But um, I bring up, I brought up Dirty Work, and I want to uh, combine him with Snitz the week before. There were two horses that jumped from benchmark races. So Dirty Work went from a benchmark 78 to a listed race, and Snitz went from a benchmark 88 to a another to a listed race as well. And these horses were just unwanted by the tipsters. I mean, there's quite a few that didn't even have dirty work in their top four. But the, the big punters were, were, weren't were deterred from backing him. And I just think sometimes we we can focus too much on, on the, the races they're coming out of. And I do that sometimes when I'm tipping. We see benchmark 78, benchmark 88. We think, no, the step up is too much. But if there's substance to what they're producing, substance on their times and their sectionals and their closing speed, you know, they can make that step up. And, you know, dirty work wasn't missed by the punters and it's just won by a lazy two-and-a-half lengths also on the inferior part of the track. Yeah, and I think there's probably not as big a gap in those sort of higher benchmark races to the listed company. I think perhaps we see benchmark and think it's a lower grade, but, you know, a benchmark 88 or something around that calibre, you know, that's basically open grade at that point. So... The step up, particularly if it's a horse with a little bit of upside, like Dirty Work, certainly isn't as big a jump as perhaps uh, some people might think. And uh, the week before with Snitz, and this was one that I'm I'm glad I put in the tweet uh, to our followers, opened $9. On Friday, you could still get 6.50, and then it was back to 6.50 to $5 on the Friday evening. And on race day... It's been back 440 into 370. That was the official fluctuation for a horse benchmark 88 in the listed takeover target stakes. So, you know, if the if the horses have got the talent and the and the numbers stack up, you know, the big punters will they're not going to listen to the tipsters. They're just going to follow their formula and what their ratings are telling them, and you know, not even listen to what. The tipsters like myself have to say. Well, Big V, um, you mentioned the Twitter handle there, and I know you put Snitz as your best bet of the day last week. Uh, I had been wondering why we had a bit of an influx of Twitter followers following that, but that explains it. You know, oh, they're all on the. They must have got on at nine dollars. Is that right? Well, they probably would have maybe got on at maybe fives. <laughs> oh, they'll take I that. I didn't get the nines. <laughs> Very good point, raised there, Big V. Now, Big V. One of the reasons you, you've been chomping at the bit for the last few weeks, there's been a few things that have been upsetting you. I've been seen it firsthand, and you were absolutely keen as mustard to get a podcast off the ground today, and I think it's because you want to have a rant. So your Big V high horse rant minute is now, if you want to have a crack and tell us what's really annoying you at the moment. Well, I've got a couple of things that we'll get through. And first of all, let's talk about King of Leah Grants. Not so much the horse, but, geez, there was a lot of spruiking about his odds being 350 into 250. That was never the case. His 350 price was when the market was all in. When the final fields came out on the Wednesday, he opened 260 into 250, and it was 250 for 48 hours straight. That's the other thing with um, these Wednesday acceptances. A couple of years ago, they were brought in to get some... just get some interest in the racing and get some betting happening. The way things are now, you get some of the early snipers have a go at some of the prices and those prices remain the same all of Thursday and Friday until Saturday morning. And 
I reckon we should, we should just not have any betting markets come out until the Thursday now because it's just nothing's happening for 48 hours. It's just getting you know, quite boring looking at the markets and and just waiting until the right price comes so you can have a bet. But that's just a, a little bit of a sidetrack. I also wanted to have a another just get off my chest last sunday i got a bit excited because sky 2 was unlocked <laughs> you got it the, the, the memes worked oh how exciting yeah and it was and then the next day they've locked it again and, <laughs> and, then, and then france has announced that they're bringing back racing and it's on sky 2 and you can't you know i've got nothing to watch late at night on the, the monday tuesday i wanted to watch a couple uh, races from chantilly what? and What's worse than what's worse than having it? They've they've given you a taste of it, then taken it away, Big V. What a shocker! Yeah, no, I just but the TABs aren't open in Melbourne. You can't go to a pub or a club. So how are they expect to get turnover when the races are on Sky Two and it's and the and the channel's locked unless you you pay an extra five dollars a month to watch it. That's only an extra five dollars, but I'm not going to fork that out to. For a racing channel, and this time just put it on. You might get some people that might throw a few dollars and build up some turnover. And um, the other rant I wanted to make is if you want a, a surefire way to to lose some money, that's to cop a tip from a bookmaker. And <laughs> I like I like having a look at it because it, it can be a bit amusing afterwards. But in the last two weeks, these are some of the horses that they've decided to lay. So on the weekend... Um, who, who are they, Big V? Tell us who are they. What, what are you... No, wait, they're, they're all, it's all the bookmakers. Oh, uh, all of them. Okay. So there was one that laid dirty work, one by two and a half lengths. Three of them laid Adelong at Rose Hill. Three of them. That one by a lazy two and a half lengths. And there was another one that laid Rima Flowers at Morpherville, and that happened to win. There was... Couple laid King of Leah grants and Harbour views, but they both ran second. I don't think they count because they nearly won. And then the week before, listen to this: um, someone laid Mask Crusader. <laughs> uh, two of them laid Sosie Bond. Another two laid Batiga. Another one laid Russian Camelot, which was back from four sixty into two ninety. So the big punters weren't listening. Anyway, to be fair, Big V. Piano. To be fair, though, Big V, you did put Bisosi Bond in the bin, so you can't really knock that one. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that was before I did win, and then when I actually I did tip Bisosi Bond on top the second time because I just looked at the field and I said, "There's nothing in this race. This Bisosi Bond could actually win again." Yeah, look and look. Everyone's made mistakes, but I, I guess if you are taking tips, taking them from bookmakers is probably the last place I'd go because they're the ones that don't want you to win. So no, the one that really stood out for me there was Mars Crusader, and you had some... Um, I can't remember what the commentary was, but it was just uh, a little bit ridiculous, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it was, not... um, it was coming up against seasoned horses, but it was Benchmark 78. There's just one in the track up. Some of the ex- explanations as well don't make sense. If they happen to get beat, it's just pure luck that it I, happens. I was disappointed that Masked Crusader didn't run again uh, on the weekend. I think it had some stone bruising um, in its hoof there. Yeah, stone bruising. It uh, might run... I think I heard that they might run, if it's right, next Saturday, but it'll be in a benchmark 88, so you're going to get maybe $1.70, $1.60. <laughs> $1. 
yeah, it'll start pretty short because Dawn Passage, I thought, was a pretty decent competition for it on the weekend. Yeah, it was a good litmus test. Yeah, it really would have been a good test. But uh, again, going to a benchmark 88 uh, probably isn't going to give it that same. It'll still be some question marks depending on how it wins, but it, I guess, couldn't have won any better than it did with Tommy Berry on board the week before. I think Tommy even had a sneaky look at 300 metres, which is something you don't see too often. So obviously knew he had plenty of horse under him. Well, I was going to mention Dawn Passage, the second favourite for the Stradbroke. So, I mean, that's a highly talented horse. And I've, I've just seen that Trekking is now the favourite for the Stradbroke, $8 into $6 today. Hmm. Well, that does that makes sense after its performance, but uh, it will be a, a good a good race that one again. Yeah, and Vega One is also up in the market. Uh, I think we should bring up Vega One because a uh, couple of interesting rides and runs by that horse this campaign, and it's going to run this Saturday. It's a horse that I'm really keen to get on. The, the group ones they don't just hand them out. It's going to, the Stradbroke's going to be a good field, good horses. And I just hope we don't see Vega 1 just have another run around on Saturday because you don't want to have a, a wasted campaign and not win. I think there's a win for the taking for Vega 1 before the Stradbroke, and I hope it is on Saturday because back at Eagle Farm, if it draws well, it'll be hard to beat. So would that be a horse to follow then, Big V? Yes, that, that would be one of my horses to follow. What, what are the others? What others have you got for us? Have you got another nice little trekking for us that we can pick up at $10 in a couple of weeks' time? Uh, possibly. I think um, in the Goodworth, Behemoth was quite a nice run. Was, yep. There was only, only second up, and he might be... I don't know where he goes. I mean, if he goes to the Stradbroke, he will be a big price, but I just wonder if he's good enough to beat uh, Trek in or a Dawn Passage. Or, and the other one that I, I liked the return of was Aquitaine behind Fatuzzi. Mm. And Fatuzzi is also... Heading up to the Stradbroke. Fatuzzi might be another one to just back again in one of the lead-up races to the Stradbroke, but good run, just fought on to hold on for second. Yeah, I think um, they're the three that I'm keen to look at. Sounds good, Big V. Well, everyone will be taking, scribbling those notes down because uh, your horses to follow have been next level in terms of performing following your uh, little spruks um even if you're not on them yourself uh they've done very well so i like taking your initial thoughts on those because i think uh sometimes you not you but you know when when you're punting you can sometimes get a little bit caught up looking race to race and finding reasons why horses can't win but getting your gut instinct at this point is uh always a um a good thing i just hope there's not one of those horses that that's in the field and you go oh, why did that horse have to be in there because actually my, my horse that follows actually haven't been too bad. I've just they've been great. For a, and another horse I think is a better a better chance. I mentioned in our last podcast and it continues to build through our uh, at should have backed it Twitter handle, which is um, gathering a bit of steam, Big V. So I need you to get yourself on there and uh, giving the punters what they want. But we did get uh, a number of listener questions. So I wanted to pose one to you. This is quite multifaceted, so you'll have to listen intently. It's from I've been told that I need to tell say who who the uh, who the listener is because there's some conjecture about the uh, validity. So if this has come from Karen from Morty Alec, and it's around uh, quaddies. Uh, so here's a question: Can you explain how quaddie pools, approximants, and payouts work? I've recently picked up two quaddies in a row. That's not a bad effort. 
I would have thought from the listener there because uh, it's been a pretty tough run. But my payments were substantially different in each of those despite putting on the same amount of money. So, Big V, I think that's a reasonably straightforward uh, question. Did you want to have a first crack at it? Yeah, well, I thought that the, the pools are it just depends on how many other people have got a quaddy on and how much they've invested. Yeah, so the pool question's quite simple. That's just the amount of money in the pool. So if Big V, myself, and two other people put 50 bucks in it, that the pool's $200. So that's just the total amount in the pool. Yeah, the other one was uh, the payouts. Well, I suppose it depends on how many horses you've picked in each leg and then how much money you've staked. So the more horses that you, you put in, the... The lesser your your percentage will be. Yeah, so usually with the flexi quaddies, you'll you'll have an option of putting as little as many horses in each of the the four legs as you want. You can choose to just have one in each leg. In that case, you put a dollar on that. There's only one there's only one possible line for you to win on. You, all four horses have to win. You put a dollar on that, you're going to get a hundred percent of the the prize pool. Yeah. But if you decide to put ten in one race, three in another, four in another, five. There's going to be lots and lots of combinations out of that. So you could have thousands of different combinations, not one. And that's going to impact what percentage of the quaddy you will get, what percentage of that dividend. So that's, I guess, where the approximates comes in. Because after the third race, uh, it's known what the dividend will be or the payout will be for each individual result in the final leg. So there might be 10 horses in the final leg. The favourite might be... You know, the quaddy might pay five thousand dollars, and yeah. for the outsider, it might pay a hundred thousand, and that's purely based on how many people have three legs already locked in and what they've put in their fourth legs, and then whatever that amount is. So let's say you, the favourite wins, and you've got the, the quaddy pays five thousand dollars. If you've got ten percent of that, you're going to get five hundred dollars, um, and if you've got one percent of that, you know you're going to get fifty dollars or whatever. So it really does depend on how many horses you're picking in each legs because the more you have, the less percentage you'll get depending on how much money you put down, um, which horses win. So if all the favourites win, it's likely that everyone in the pool has also got the quaddy, which will be where Karen here has hit her issue because on one week, obviously, she's had a lot of upsets and a lot of roughies get up. And in the other week, she's obviously had a lot of favourites win. So if everyone's winning, the, the actual the actual payouts are obviously going to be a lot lower because you're not taking as much out of that pool. Yeah. Well, it depends on yeah, which horses are winning and how many people have got that horse in their quaddy. Yes. Also, so, I mean, you might have a horse that could be back from $10 into $4 equal favourite, but even though it might be an equal favourite, not many people might have had it in their quaddy because they've already put their quaddy on. But one thing that Karen can do if she wants to find out what percentage she's going to get before she puts her bet on. Is if you go to Google, you just type in TAB Quaddy Calculator and then you click on the link and you get the, the bet cost calculator. You click on the bet type and just click on Quaddy and it comes up with legs one, two, three and four. You just tick in the number of horses you're going to put in each leg. Click on Flexi, type in the amount of money you're going to put on and it comes up with what percentage you're going to get. So... If I do it now and I pick four horses in every leg, you know, tick flexi, put in fifty dollars, I'm getting nineteen point five three percent of the dividend. You know, if I put in 
Now, 100 bowlers, I've got 39%, 39.06% of the dividend. And if I want to change and add, you know, six horses in one leg and then take out, you know, go one out in another leg and then go four and four, if I put in $50, then that's changed to 52%. So when you're doing when you're doing your quaddies, Big V, what are you looking for? Are you aiming for a, an amount spent or a percentage of the of the uh, of the quadrilla? What what's your? How do you frame it? Or don't you? Is it a week by week prospect for you? I think I usually go for um, spend. How much I'm willing to spend? And you'll just and take whatever probably, percentage you get. Yeah, and then maybe trying to if I can go short in a couple of legs. So maybe. You know, it's it's tougher when you've got big fields at this time of year. You know, 14, 16 horse fields, you might have to go a bit wider. But then if you want to get the, the dividend, you might have to stake a bit more. But maybe this time of year, you can still have the same stake and more horses because the dividend might be greater because you might get a few more blowout results. Yeah, I think on those big days where you've got big fields, you know, you know $6 a field over 20 horses and there's multiple races like that, that's where you can go a bit wider and really play a lower percentage. You can still pick up a really big win with only a couple percent on those big days. But your normal day at Flemington, where you know you got ten to twelve horse fields, you probably need somewhere up around ten percent before you're really getting some uh, some good returns. Because the thing about the quaddy, and you'll remember last time we were at Flemington, mate, I got the quaddy and actually lost money because <laughs> the percentage that I got didn't return me as much as I, I spent. So there are there are still ways to lose, even when you win with quaddies. But uh, thanks for that question. I hope that goes some way to explaining it. But but ultimately, if, you, if you're winning, generally you'll win some cash. So you've done the first thing right and picking the winners on two occasions. Hopefully you can continue to do that. The final segment and our regular segment is runs from the bush. I just wanted to quickly touch on two horses that we've talked about a lot. And... Almost met at Caulfield last week, Big V. It was going to be the big showdown. Um, young Liam, who um, I've been following um, out of a couple of Cranbourne wins, and Moi Chu, which I probably haven't pronounced properly again. Moi Chu was both in, in accepted, actually, for a race at Caulfield, but we had a, a downpour of rain and the track really did deteriorate, so both were scratched. Uh, Moi Chu was a good thing beaten. At sale uh, a couple of days later, uh, the the jockey unfortunately dropped the range with about 100 metres to go, which did not help, and was just beaten on the line. So definitely one to continue the follow there. It's definitely a horse that uh, uh, can get the job done. I think it had won at $11 previously as well, so uh, we'll continue to follow it. Young Liam, I just wanted to raise two, is racing or at least nominated at Moe on Tuesday, uh, that's Tuesday the 19th of May. I suspect we'll start very short because I would have thought uh, would have a, a field at Maui covered quite comfortably. So we'll, we'll, we'll watch with interest. I haven't looked at that field completely, but uh, young Liam and Moi Chu um, doing pretty well as three-year-olds. You still following them, Big V, or you, you jumped off worrying about Adelaide and yeah. coming second? Actually, I did get a, I got a tip last week at Donald and I was told that this horse would just win. I don't know how much information I can give, but anyway, the horse was Jolly Sailor, $2 favourite, just got an absolute bum steer, just just saw a rump the whole way through, 
and finished second last. <laughs> Disappointing. Well, maybe you'll but, get a maybe you'll get a price next time then. Yeah, well, it was a big it was a big spruik on the horse. It won by five lengths on debut at Wodonga, and it was just uh, I think it was just a horror ride. Actually, when if you look at Mars Crusaders win in that benchmark seventy eight race, yeah, Tommy Berry just took luck bad luck out of the equation. He just went to the lead and said, I'm on the better horse. Catch me if you can. And this is the complete opposite where from barrier two, you know, the jockey's just allowed you know, a couple of horses to just cruise in front of him and and he's just well, gets stuck behind a couple and he just had so much left to give. And yeah, I think, um, what's his name? Jolly Sailor. Just look out for it. Speaking of good things beaten, uh, we've sort of regressed back to Flemington here, but you saw Bee Hunter with uh, Damien Oliver on board finish, have a fast finishing second in the last there behind Debt and Deficit. I mentioned earlier with Jamie Carr. Uh, there was an odd sort of video exchange following that with the uh, trainer there, uh, Sadler, with Damien Oliver. I'm not sure what that was all about, but it confused a few punters. It looked like uh, Oliver was getting a bit of a cook for his ride, um, which I thought would have been a bit hard, harsh given the, where the horse was and running and, and what, what was presented to the... Yeah, what was presented to the jockey. But uh, do you know much more about that? That was a bit of an odd little exchange. It was. I think it just... Uh, oh, that surprised people. Maybe trick people. It was supposed to be a, a mock video, so it's just a bit of fun. And so it wasn't It wasn't real. It wasn't a real spray and caught people off. And a lot of people, as we are in this society, just complained about it and you know weren't too happy. But you know, apparently it was just all for a bit of fun and... And that was it. Okay. The, the trainer's come out. I saw it on the Herald Sun website. The trainer, you know, John Sadler, says he probably regrets doing the video. It was only supposed to be for for the trainers at Caulfield, just for them to have a look at. But someone's posted it on social media, and you know, a couple of people, as you know, always the case, are you know get offended by it. And well, I'm not sure there was any reason to be offended. I just, I guess, out of context, it was just seemed a bit odd. But I guess in the context of uh, just a bit of an in-joke, I mean, yeah. that that's fine, I guess. There could have been a bit of dialogue to make it a bit more obvious that it was a bit of a joke. Like, Ollie could have said, you know, if you get your horses to jump out of the barrier properly, I'm <laughs> eating rump yeah. steak for dinner. <laughs> Something like that. And, you know... Sadler could have said back, you know, well, you can always jump over the horses. Yeah, you know, just have, you know, some lines in there to make it obvious that, you know, this is a, you know, a bit of a lightheartedness. I guess you just got to assume everything that's on video now is going to be shared with the whole world. So I um, guess that's a lesson for both of them. But, yeah, it's, it was a, quite an interesting one. And if it was done in fun, then that's, I guess, no problem with that at all. Uh, that probably wraps us up for this special edition of the Should Have Backed It podcast. We've covered a lot of ground there, mate, from a um, number of meetings in South Australia, a few few meetings here in Victoria, across, across the border into New South Wales, and even looked as far forward as the Melbourne Cup. So good to have a chat and good to see you again, mate. I hope, I hope you're keeping well. And one of the things we did want to uh, raise with our listeners is our interest and our, uh, I guess, expertise goes beyond the racing industry. I know Big V, you do a lot of work at the Herald Sun in, in other sports, in particular one of your other loves, AFL, which I guess we were both very, very pleased to see will be returning soon. Um, I think 11th of June will be the uh, 
round two um, will commence. So what we might do in future podcasts is just uh, include a little bit more sports content for those those that are interested. If you do have any comments about that, please do get in touch with the show and let us know what you think. You happy to do that, Big V? You're a big Brisbane Lions supporter, so you'd be happy yeah. that the uh, Southern Queensland hub's been set up? Yeah, sounds good. Uh, it's good to talk about, about footy as well as the, the punting side of, of footy as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it, mate. That Yeah, that's a wrap for the show. Please, the, the Twitter feed is uh, going very well, so if you are interested in hearing about our best bets for the week, please uh, go to at should have backed it on Twitter and, and jump on there and interact with us. Happy to talk about anything racing. Um, it's been, been some good banter there over the last few weeks. And aside from that, I hope everyone's keeping safe, socially distancing, and, and uh, hopefully we can uh, get back at the races in, in the not-too-distant future. So uh, that's it for the Should Have Backed It podcast special edition. And as always, uh, good luck on the punt.